Well, we're still teaching in the Psalms. We're in Psalm 114. This is a song of redemption. A song of redemption. This was a song that Israel sang at the Passover. The 114th. Let's notice it verse by verse. It says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. Notice that first verse shows us the national redemption of the nation of Israel. And it was a, really a historical fact. It says, when Israel went out of Egypt. So we're talking about something that for the nation was a historical fact. Remember, Moses stretched out his hand and over the sea and they were redeemed by not only the blood of the Passover lamb, but by the power of God they came forth. So our redemption is also by blood and by power. It's by the blood of Christ. And it's by the power of God that makes us a new creature in Christ Jesus. And by the power of the gospel that brings us to the knowledge of salvation. So our redemption also is based upon a fact, isn't it? And uh, our redemption is based upon the fact of the gospel. Paul says, Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15. You read all... Three verses, verses one through three, if you will. So it says, When Israel came, when Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of a strange language. Remember, they had been taken down into Egypt and by the hand of God. God had led them all down through Joseph, remember. And finally, Jacob got down into Egypt through the foreknowledge of God and how, what, how God provided for the whole family of uh, Israel. Uh, and Jacob was finally brought down there for the survival of his whole family during the time of drought. And there they were saved from the famine. And also there they had to serve the Egyptians, a people of a strange language, for 400 years. And they were in bondage. After another king rose up that knew not Joseph. Remember Exodus chapter 1. And then it says in verse 2, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The Lord dwelt with His people. Judah was His sanctuary. You know, God's people today are His sanctuary. God dwells in His people today. Not only individually, He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. But it says, uh, Paul said to the Corinthian church, ye are the temple of God. Ye. And he was speaking of them plural in the sense of the congregation of the church at Corinth. So in both aspects... God dwells uh, with His people. He dwells with us in our hearts by His presence in our hearts. And our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're bought with a price. You're not your, your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then we as a church, Jesus said, we're two or three gathered together in my name. There am I in the midst of them. And He's promised to dwell in the house, in this house of the church. Judah was His sanctuary. You know, isn't it a condescending thing that God would consent to dwell among His people? Jesus condescended to come down from heaven and tabernacle. The Bible says He tabernacled among us. In the Old Testament, under Israel's dispensation of the law and the Levitical priesthood, God dwelt in the sanctuary. Later on, He dwelt in the temple in Solomon's day. Later on, He dwelt in the world in Christ. And now He dwells in, in this world in His own people. And one of these days, the Bible says, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will be their God and He will be with them and dwell with them. I think you'll find that in Revelation 21. 
They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, be their God. And it says in verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. By the way, I use this partly in my message today at the cemetery. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. That'll be a great day, won't it? For the former things are passed away. So, if you look at verse 3 now, it says, The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The Red Sea was astonished. It fled. And then it says Jordan was driven back. Nature always obeys the commands of God. When Moses stretched out his rod, the Red Sea parted, made way for the children of Israel to cross dry shod. And then the time came that they came to Jordan. And God caused Jordan's water to flow uphill. It was driven back. It came down, but it was driven back. Jordan is a symbol of death. And you know, only the hand of God can stay death and hold it back in its greatest, uh, most fierce tide and onslaught. Some people have been said they were going to die, and God says, no, not now. But when God's time comes, it will be. On the other hand, until that time comes, He's able to hold back. We sing a song, and I used to love to have it at funerals. When I come to the river at ending of day, the last winds of sorrow are blown. There'll be somebody waiting to show me the way. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. The Psalm, the 23rd Psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Look at all the things you find there. It says, Yea, though I walk. So there's activity. And it didn't say into, but it says through. So there's something on the other side. It says the valley of the shadow. If you go through a valley, there's got to be higher ground on the other side. Doesn't it? The valley, and then you go on to the mountain. The shadow of death. If there's a shadow, there has to be a light. The word shadow there means illusion. It's, death is really kind of an illusion. People, we speak of it. It's a reality, but it's also an illusion because it's like you move out of a tent and you move into a building. Well, you know, when the tent, today I preached on that, Second Corinthians chapter 5, it says, We know if our earthly house of this tabernacle, the word tabernacle there is tent, we're dissolved, that means it's, it's uh, dismantled. We have a building, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. And so when you think about it, to move out of a tent that you just tear down or that will fold up or dismantle doesn't mean the end of you. It means the end of the place you're living in. But if you're going to move out of that and move into a building, an edifice that uh, can hold you and, and is more stable and more uh, secure and more firm than a, than a tent, you're moving into a better place, aren't you? Most of us have moved out of a smaller house or something that was pretty well dilapidated into a little better house sometime or other in our lives. And... That's exactly what happens when we die. We move out of this tabernacle of clay, which is of the earth. We move into a, a house not built with hands, eternal in the heavens. We move out of an earthly house into a heavenly house, into an eternal house in the presence of the Lord. So anyway, we get on to this. Jordan's waters flowed uphill. Jordan was driven back, it says. Verse 4 says, The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. Look at this. 
The mountains and the hills, they even come to life at the Lord's presence. They're said to these things that, are, that do not move. The mountains do not really move. And the hills do not really move in a sense. But God sees them as the mountains, look, skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What aileth thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest? What, what's wrong with that sea? Is it sick that it fled at the presence of God? What aileth thee? Thou, Jordan, that was thou that, uh, that thou was driven back. What ails Jordan that it was driven back and the waters went opposite to the flow and course of nature? You know, the water flows downhill, but God says, I'm going to push them back up and hold them back uphill, upstream. Jordan was driven back. It says in verse 6, Ye mountains, that ye skip like rams, and ye little hills like lambs. We find that the inanimate things are act contrary to nature at the presence of God. If these things can be said to act contrary to nature at the presence of God, then we who have somewhat of His divine nature should act in accordance and we should uh, to God's presence, and we should act contrary to the old nature. If mountains and hills and seas and waters can be made to act contrary to nature, and you and I have an old nature that we need to act contrary to, and we have a new nature that gives us the ability to act in accordance with God's will and way, then certainly we should try to make this new nature have the priority and act in accordance to God's will and make it act contrary to the old nature. Paul says that you put on the new man, that you crucify what? The old man, which is corrupt according to its former lust. And put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Notice it says, Tremble thou, or thou earth at the presence of the Lord. The whole earth is made to tremble. We know the earth does quake, doesn't it? At the presence of the God of Jacob. Now look at verse 8. Which turned the rock into, into standing water. It turned the rock into standing water. And it says, the flint into a fountain of waters. You know, that's quite a wonderful change to be made, isn't it? To turn a rock into standing water and the flint into a fountain of waters. So that's a great change that God is able to make. Someone says, well, that's such a great change. I can't imagine a rock being turned into water, water flowing out of this rock, and the flint into a fountain of water. Well, a lot of people can't imagine how that God could take you and I who were sinners by nature and make a new creature of us, and we'd be different people than we would be by nature. And the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I want you to look at the next Psalm, 115, if you will. Psalm 115. I've prepared 115 and 116, and we'll try to cover both of these as quickly as possible. This is a prayer to the honor of God in times of apostasy. When people turn away from God and turn to idols, and you'll find that they do in this chapter, in this Psalm. When God's people become unfaithful, the heavens sometimes become silent to them. And then the ungodly blaspheme the name of the Lord and they say, where is your God? You know, where's God? If you're, if you're a Christian, where's your God? And we'll find some of that in this psalm. Notice the first verse. It says, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. Here's an effectual prayer. A feeling of unworthiness, first of all. Not unto us, 
but unto thy name give glory, for his name's sake. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And when we say not unto us, we mean we're not worthy really of ourselves to be heard, but God's name should be glorified. And here's two things, mercy and truth. Unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Mercy is expected because of God's nature. God is a God of mercy. God's a God of love. God's a God of grace. God is a God of truth. And it says, and for thy truth's sake. So, here's an effectual prayer. A feeling of unworthiness. Look. And then for his name's sake. And mercy is expected because of his nature. And God is jealous of his truth. And God stands for truth. And then verse 2 says, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? Wherefore should the heathen say? A refusal to answer the prayer would give the enemy an argument. Have you ever told folks that you were praying about a certain individual or certain things in the church or, or uh, certain problems or situations? And they act as if it doesn't make any difference. You know, that's, you know, out, they don't believe in that at all. And if they can try to convince you that God doesn't hear, that He's not listening to you, and it doesn't happen, see, they're brought to the place that they put you down as a Christian. But you know, we need to be like the three Hebrew children that whether God hears or not, and whether God delivers or not, we still will not bow down. Isn't that what they said? They said, if he said, they said, our God is able to deliver us from that burning fiery furnace, but if not, we will still not bow down or worship your idols. But God did hear their prayer, didn't he? On the other hand. And God will hear ours because we continually pray to him. And a refusal to answer would give the enemy an argument. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Have you ever had people question your Christianity? Question whether God has power? Question whether God can do anything for you? Well, you just keep on serving God and then let them wonder if what God's blessings happen to you. Let them wonder as how these things are happening to you and, and they see God's blessings upon your life. They'll say, well, you know, I didn't think. Well, you didn't think that God was alive? Well, He is. You didn't think God would hear? He did. The other day I was, I'd lost uh, my little uh, certificate of eligibility for my, uh, I really didn't lose it, I misplaced it. It's exactly where it was supposed to be. <laughs> but I overlooked it. <laughs> you ever done that? Anyway, I had my certificate of eligibility for my tax over at uh, Carrizoza. And we went over and rendered our taxes. And anyway, I have it in a clear little envelope. And I put it in the, my desk drawer in a very certain place. But it got between some more. And I, you know how you do. You think, well, I didn't put it back there. And you start looking, ramsacking everything you can find. Look back in the car. And I looked here and I looked there. Finally, I just sat down in the car and I said, Lord... I'm ready to go over there, and I've got to do this. Help me to find that. And I went in and unlocked the door, the desk drawer, and reached right in there and picked it up. It's right between. It's right where it was all the time. But I'd gone through that already twice and missed it. But I said, Lord, I want you to show me where that is. I said, I know where it's supposed to be. Well, he just as much as said, go look. If that's where it's supposed to be, that's probably where you'll find it. So I went in there and found it. You know, God hears all kinds of prayers, and sometimes when we don't know what to do, if we just ask Him, He'll give us guidance and understanding and help. And we do need to ask, 
Bible tells us that prayer is asking, but the heathen like to make fun of it. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? In other words, when you get in trouble, what are they going to say? Where is now thy God? And that's what people like to do. That do not believe you. And do not believe that God is on your side. And do not believe you're serving the living and true God. Verse 3 says, but our God is in the heavens. I'll tell you where he is. He's in the heavens. And it says, he hath done whatsoever he has pleased. When we come to the conclusion that Israel's God was not a dead God or indifferent to what was happening, neither is ours. The Lord knows what goes on in the world and he knows all things about us. And it says he worketh all things, Ephesians 1.11, after the counsel of his own will. And then we get down to verse 4, verses 4 on down for quite a ways. Speak of the idols, the folly of idolatry. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. By the way, all idols are man-made. God didn't make idols. God is not the God of idols. He's the living and true God. And if anytime you see people worshiping idols of what form or manner, or even of their own imagination, it's still man-made. It comes out of the vain imagination of their heart. And if it's an idol of wood or stone or uh, whatever that's set up, and then they're described here. It says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Look, they have mouths, but they speak not. They're silent. They can't give commands. They can't converse. They can't console. They can't uh, say anything to rectify a situation. They're dead idols, aren't they? It says, they have, they have eyes, eyes have they, but they see not. They're blind. They cannot really see. They made eyes on them. They have ears. Have you ever seen some of these idols that are made with monstrous ears? You'd think with the kind of size of the ears they put on some of them, that they could surely hear, that they can hear not. You see, wood and stone does not hear. God hears. God is seen as having His, his ears ever open to the cry of the righteous. And then it says, uh, they have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They cannot discern anything. They cannot tell anything. They have hands, but they handle not. They're unable to command or to promise or to console. They're unable to observe a friend or foe. They're unable to hear a cry. They're unable to detect what is good or bad by the smell. Unable to bless or protect. Look at verse 7. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. They're unable to move from place to place. Neither speak they through their throat. They're unable even to make a a noise like an animal. They can't make a grunt like a pig or a squeal or anything. Even of the most lowly creatures, that's all they do. They can't do anything. And yet men worship them and fall down before them and bow down before them. And it was the second commandment. God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then He said, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. We have people all over the world worshiping images of some kind or other that are made up of their whole, their whole worship is made up of that. And then it says uh, in verse, uh, by the way, if you want a whole passage to show you uh, of, of idols that are made, you uh, look at Isaiah 44 verses 9 through 19 and you'll have the description of how they're made and how they're tooled and how they're fashioned as well as looking back to how the golden calf was made in Israel's day and others that you find in the scripture. 
And verse 8 says, look at this. They that make them are likened to them. People who make or worship idols are as dumb as the idols. If you make an idol to worship, you're just as dumb as that idol, idol that you've created. Dumb idols. Paul said, look in first, uh, Second Corinthians. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. Second Corinthians chapter, uh, let's see. No, I believe it's First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. Notice what it says here. It says uh, in verse 1 and 2. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now look. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Paul calls the Corinthians, the, the idols that they worship, dumb, D-U-M-B, dumb idols. And the people who make and worship idols are just like them. Now then, the God of Israel is seen beginning with verse 9. Instead of trusting in idols, look at what it says in verse 9. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. Never mind those idols. He is their help and their shield. First of all, Israel, Israel is called up to trust in the Lord. Israel's God can both help and protect. He's not like a dumb idol. He is their help and their shield. The help means He helps us. The shield is protector. Then, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Notice it's the same thing. Israel, and then the special mention of the house of Aaron, He is their help and their shield. And then it says, Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Not only Israel, and not only the house of Aaron, but ye that fear the Lord, trust in, uh, fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Then it says, The Lord hath been mindful of us. God listens to us. He's mindful. You know, to be mindful of someone is to have your mind to make a concern for their situation, or to have concern for their situation. You say, I'm mindful of that person's need. Well, then you become a little bit concerned about that person's need. If you're mindful of it. And it says, the Lord hath been, hath been mindful of us. He will, that's future. He has been and He will. See what God has done, He will also do. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless... Of them that fear the Lord. Notice those three that said it was Israel and Aaron, the house of Aaron, and those that fear the Lord. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Then notice it says, The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. The Lord is able to bless. You know, we don't know the nature of many of God's blessings. It's mercy and grace and, and uh, supplying our needs and caring for us in every situation. We read Psalm 103, and you could read it and find, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who healeth, uh, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, and so on and so forth. Just a multitude and a cluster of blessings. We'll turn back possibly and read some of that in a moment. But so it says, He will bless them that fear uh, the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. He's the creator of all things. The one who blesses us made heaven and earth. Sometimes we feel like that our situation is too big for God to bless and to help. If He made heaven and earth, is it a great thing if He can deal with our minute situation? Have you ever felt like that, you know, this problem's so big, God can't handle it? 
not that big. Have you ever felt like this problem is so small God doesn't care about it? It's not that little. So it says, He that made heaven and earth. And it says in verse 16, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's. It all belongs to Him. But the earth hath He given to the children of men. He's made man uh, to be a ruler and have dominion over the things on this earth. It says in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 2, But unto man He saith, unto man he says what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou visitest him it says thou madest him a little lower than the angels thou crownest him with glory and honor thou didst set him over the works of thy hands thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet for in that he put all things in subjection under him we see that not all things are put in him but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. So everything was put under man's feet but Jesus. But we see Jesus. And he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. But he was crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. Then it goes on to say, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church, the congregation, will I sing praise unto thee. Again, I and the children which God hath given me. And again, when he bringeth his first begotten into the world, he saith, let all the angels of God worship him. And by the way, it tells us, that he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And it tells us that in all things he, it behooved him to, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Well, look at the next verse. He will. Uh, it says, The Lord shall increase uh, you more and more, your you and your children, you are blessed of the Lord uh, which made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heaven, heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. It says, the dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. Now that means as far as this world is concerned, only the living can praise the Lord. The writers thinking of God's glory in this world. Our praise in this life ceases at death. When we die, we don't praise the Lord here anymore upon this earth. We're separated from all that pertains to this life. And we go into a life beyond. Neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. From this time forth means in this world and in the world to come. We'll bless the Lord from this time forth. That would be now, right? And forevermore. In the world to come. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.21. Unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end. Amen. Look at Psalm 1.16 quickly. It says. I love the Lord. Because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. This is a psalm of love and devotion to the Lord. Why did he love the Lord? He says. I love the Lord because. We used to have a testimony meeting. We would say. Each one would say, I love the Lord, and they'd say, because, and they'd give a reason. 
First John four nineteen tells us what because. It says we love him because what is it? He first loved us. Why he loved the Lord. And also it says because he had heard my voice and my supplication. Continual prayer is promised. It says, because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. In other words, I'll continue to pray. In verse 3 says, the sorrows of death compassed me and the pains of hell got hold upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Here's soul agony. Jesus endured soul agony. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Matthew of some of the agony that Jesus endured. Isaiah 53 says he is despised and rejected of men. We did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. It says in verse 4, Then called I upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Here was first of all a prayer for deliverance. Do you ever come to the place that you feel that no one can deliver you but the Lord? I've come to that place many times, and I'm sure each of you have. He says, O Lord, I beseech thee, I plead with you, deliver my soul. And then it says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Here's some of God's attributes. What is it? Gracious, righteous, merciful. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. Some of these divine attributes. It says, O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous. Ezra 9.15 Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. Look down at verse uh, 6. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. The submissive to the Lord are preserved. The simple, believing every word of God. In Proverbs 15, 14 verse 15 it says, The simple believeth every word. You and I have to be so simple, so uh, inclined to just accept God's word. Whether or not we understand it, the simple believeth every word. You can look at that, that up in, in Proverbs 14, verse 15. And then it says, I was brought low and he helped me. Who's the helper? The lowly are helped. Hebrews 13, verse 6, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. There's been times in our lives that if the Lord hadn't helped, where would we be? Where would we be? The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. That's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6. Rest for the soul. Look at this next one. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. Rest of soul is found in the Lord. Didn't Jesus say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will what give you? He gives you rest? Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. Soul rest. And then he says, I'll give you rest. Then he says, I'll, if you can find rest too. Some people have that rest that's given. Listen to that again. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we come with a burden of our sin, with all of our problems, with all our needs, and the Lord gives us rest. Then he says, Take my yoke. Here's the rest you can find. Take my yoke upon you. That's service, isn't it? And learn of me, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we want to really find rest, that second rest is being willing to serve God. And then it says, a threefold deliverance in verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. Soul deliverance, 
and eyes from tears and feet from falling. Soul deliverance and deliverance from tears and deliverance from temptation, you might say. Soul deliverance, you hath he quickened. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Deliverance from tears, we read it in Revelation 21 verse 4. We have plenty of tears in this life. You cry, you, you uh, fret, you worry. There's tears of, of, uh, of uh, temptations and trials. There's tears of sorrow. There's tears of joy even. But most of all, there are tears of hurt, pain. But it says, God shall wipe away all tears. It says, in my eyes from tears and my feet from falling. We feel like we're going to fall. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, there's no temptation that's befallen us, but that is common to man. It says, God will with every temptation make a way of escape to, uh, that you may be able to. Uh, not only a way of escape, we can take that, but then he says that you may be able to bear it. How many times have we had to bear under a temptation that we're not only just not delivered from it, but we were able to bear it? Then let's look at the walk of the believer in the last part of this chapter. It says, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Where to walk is before the Lord. Genesis 17, 1 will... Uh, the Lord said to Abraham, Walk before me and be thou perfect. Colossians 1.10, the Bible says, Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Romans 4 verse 12 says, Walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. It's a walk of faith. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. In fact, verse 10 says, I believe, therefore have I spoken. If you believe, then that's what you stand for. And then a godly walk often brings persecution. Look at the last part of that 10th verse. It says, I believe, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. And a hasty walk, look what this does in verse 11. I said in my haste, all men are liars. A hasty walk brings wrong conclusions. You know, Randy and I were talking. There's a lot of people that, uh, as far as preachers are concerned, they're necessary evil. Others who appreciate us when the time comes that they need uh, they're in uh, they have a death in the family or need to to be ministered to they appreciate you so not all men are liars in that sense now the Bible does teach that all of us are liars in a sense of the word because we all have come forth speaking lies according to another song because it's man's nature but that doesn't mean we should look at the world without any concern of them trying to be uh, more than uh, some are. I said in my haste, all men are liars. And we re reach a long con wrong conclusion but there, because there are some men that are full of faith and they're full of truth. And John, in the book of uh, his epistles, Second John and Third John, speaks of his children that walk in truth. Verse uh, 12 says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits? We found that in Psalm 103 as well. Remember we quoted it a little bit ago. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? Here are obligations that are realized. I will take the cup of salvation, that's free, isn't it? And call upon the name of the Lord. I'll not only take the salvation He gives me, the cup of salvation, but I'll call on the name of the Lord. A yielded life to the Lord and a prayer life to the Lord. And then verse 14, I will pay my vows unto the Lord in the presence of of his, all his people. This is a public performance of the resolutions that are made. 
Jesus said that we should confess him before men. In the presence of his people. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the presence of people, we are to be the light of the world. Verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Look at death as the Lord looks at death. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Remember, Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So, but he says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So he says, that you sorrow not. Brethren, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. Be a true servant of the Lord. Be a true servant of the Lord. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. You know, I think one of the best things that was said about Moses, you find it in Joshua chapter 1, it says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. So to be a servant of the Lord. Where do we fit in that pattern? Okay, Romans 12, 1 and 2. What does it say? Therefore, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. So we all can be servants of the Lord. And every Christian should be in some form or fashion a servant of the Lord. But it's a special privilege when God says, Moses, my servant, O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. In verse 17, I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord to be thankful to the Lord and offer God the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, it said, Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God that, that which doth not doth cost me nothing. So a sacrifice involves costing us. And then it says, and we'll call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all His people. Offer praise where? In the house of God? In the courts of the Lord's house. In the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. It was said in the Old Testament. Praise ye the Lord. So pay our vows in the presence of God's people. In other words, Surrender to the Lord, offer sacrifice to the Lord, pay our vows. In other words, do the things that we vowed to do. And then the best place in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. Well, thank you for listening to these three psalms. We'll get into the Psalm 117, 18. And when we get to 119, we want to spend some time there. We'll have to spend some time there because it's a rather a lengthy psalm, isn't it? I think there's a hundred and... 76 verses in the 119th Psalm. So that, that's a rich...